Ooh, God is good, amen? Man. Omar, we are glad that you are back. We're sorry it was a rough week. Yeah, you can welcome him back today. We're in the office. We miss his spirit and his dad jokes. On Sunday, we miss his leadership. And I am uh, really excited. Uh, last week, we began a series talking about family values, uh, talking about what do we believe and why do we believe what we believe. And so throughout the summer, over 14 weeks, this is week two, we're going to be really hammering in on what we believe and why we believe it. And all of it is going to be steeped in Scripture. And so here's what I want to let you know. Um, in your seats around you, we try to do it every other, every two or three seats, there's a piece of paper. If you don't have anything to take notes on today, I just want to encourage you. We're going to run through a lot of Scripture today, and then we're going to camp out in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. But we're going to run through some stuff. And if you need to uh, write down references, I had just a lot of fun getting ready for this week. Um, but in that sheet, on the top of it, on the red side, is also a statement. This is a statement that our church, we have uh, agreed to, so to speak, that it well represents what stewardship is. And last week we talked about like the first two-thirds of it. If you have that piece of paper, I'll, I'll, you can read along with me, but I'll read it to you. It says, this is what we believe about stewardship, that God is the source of all blessings, temporal and spiritual. All that we have and all that we are, we owe to him. Christians have spiritual debtorship to the whole world, a holy trusteeship in the gospel, and a binding stewardship in their possessions. They are therefore under obligation to serve him with their time, talents, and material possessions. And we recognize all these as entrusted to us for the glory of God and for helping others. And, and I want to stop there before we go to the next part of it, because that's really what we talked about last week when we looked at stewardship. Here's what we said is, stewardship, as Scripture tells us, one, can only be done by someone who has accepted the call of Jesus Christ and surrendered their life to him. You and I cannot steward the things of the kingdom of God if we are not citizens of the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? Just very plain math is, is this. There are four people that call my house home. All of them have keys. They all know where our emergency stash is funded. I'm a pastor. It's not that big if you're thinking of getting rich. But they know where the emergency 20 is, so to speak, right? Uh, they, they know that, that the lights that they turn on and turn off, they have free run of it. Why? Because they are members and citizens of my household. You are my friends. But if you walk in my door at 11 o'clock at night, there better be something that really needs prayer. Amen? You follow that? So, so they're a part of that. And so their, their citizenship, so to speak, it, it gives them the ability to steward things that we don't give to the whole world. In Christ, we are stewards of his only if we are his. Uh, my son and I had this conversation this past week that we are not all, in other words, all men and women are not children of God. All men and women are created in the image of God but only those who have surrendered and accepted the adoption as sons and daughters are children of God. Does that make sense? So there's a little difference. So those who belong to the family are called and trusted to be stewards. And then we talked about the second part is this, is that what we steward really talks about who we trust and that a steward places their trust in the Lord. What we do with what we are and what we have is in submission and obedience to God because we trust him over us that's part of surrendering to the gospel and then finally what we said is this is that being a steward means taking action on the mission of the lord 
right? And so when you and I, we are called by God and we are his children, what we have been given by him, we submit to him, and then we use who we are and what we've been given to take action on who, his things, the things of the kingdom, his mission. And so that's really that summation of what we just read uh, in a kind of a sermon point. The second part says this. You can look back in your bulletin if you want. It'll be on the screen this time. It says, according to the scriptures, Christians should contribute of their means cheerfully, regularly, systematically, proportionately, and liberally for the advancements of the Redeemer's cause on the earth. All right? So that's in that thing. So that's the second part. And we kind of get into this contributions part. And it's, it's funny, if you're visiting with us, welcome to Giving Sunday. Um, it's one of, I think, that most people are like, oh, why do I always show to church on, on Tithing Sunday? Um, I, I, I'm telling you what, I love Tithing Sunday. Um, because we're talking about something that is biblically steeped in God's word and it's personally important. And so I want to break it down to you. I would tell you as I walk through our things, we'll talk about grace and salvation and who Jesus is, but biblical stewardship is one of the most tender, intimate things to my life. Uh, and, and we're going to walk you through a little bit of my story, but mostly through God's story today on what it looks like to be a believer in Jesus Christ who says stewardship means contributing to the advancement of the Redeemer's cause in this way, right? Through what we have and how we steward our possessions. So, so let me break up the scriptural foundation. And I'm going to kind of run through the first time uh, tithing, giving is interested, uh, introduced in the Bible, kind of through the New Testament. So if you want to hit this, you can write it down. In Genesis chapter 14 is the first time that a tenth, giving 10%, is mentioned. It's when Abraham gives a tenth, tenth to Melchizedek, a priest king, uh, who is this uh, appearance uh, or this pointing to the Christ that is to come. In, in Leviticus chapter 27, what Scripture says is our tithe, what we give to the Lord, is holy. In other words, the word holy means this. It means set apart. It means not mine, right? I want you to know this is really important to us as we get rolling through this. One, every minister, staff member at First Baptist not only believes in tithing and giving and stewardship, but practices it. But here's the second part is, all of us realize that what we are called to steward is not our own. It's been set apart as holy for God. And so how we use it matters. That's why when we're trying to, to so, so, so to speak, wine and dine somebody, we're taking you to like free birds because it's affordable. Amen? So, so we want to steward what we have because it's set apart as holy, Leviticus 27. Um, in, in Numbers 18 and, and in Deuteronomy chapter 26, the Bible talks about how we're to use these types of gifts. Numbers 18, it's set aside to provide for the priest back in the Old Testament who's serving for the Lord. Paul would say that it's also set aside to take care of the ministers who are providing spiritually and leading those around them. But the second part, Deuteronomy 26, says this. It's to care for the priest, the Levites, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widows. In other words, that we are to use our tithe to help care for those who aren't able to care for themselves. Now, this is not someone who doesn't want to care for themselves, right? If you can go play bingo for 12 hours straight, but you're hard up, you following me? If you can go spend all day playing video games, it's not the same. 
What scripture says is this, it's to be used for those who are in need, the widows, the fatherless, the sojourners, that we're to care for people and provide for people in their time of need. Where? Well, in the Old Testament, in the promised land, the Bible says in Deuteronomy 12, where they're supposed to bring the tithes. We, we'll talk about the difference between that and today. In Deuteronomy 14, it talks about when, that the gift that we give is supposed to be regular. God starts to lay out the regularity of it. Now, now here's where we start to transition because we've kind of gotten through some of the facts of it. But here's what I want you to know. In Second Chronicles uh, with King Hezekiah in Nehemiah chapter 10 and then in Amos chapter 4 giving is reinstituted in accordance with repentance when people aren't giving unto the Lord scripturally it always follows a track of rebellion when that rebellion is pro produced or in front of the Lord, giving is associated with repentance and reestablishing right relationship. It doesn't cause a right relationship. God doesn't need our cash. Amen? But, but it's in accordance with it. In Malachi, it even says that this is that when we don't give, it's robbing the Lord. It's active rebellion. When we do give, it's testing and, and letting us trust the Lord and see how he provides as our father. So, so that's what the Old Testament says. When we get in the New Testament, Jesus reaffirms tithing, but he says something crazy. He says, you should do that, but you should also do more. And he starts about talking about how giving comes when we, how the way we, we treat people and use what God has given us to bless and love others. And in Hebrews, the writer, inspired by the Holy Spirit, ties it all together and says, actually, everything that you give belongs to God. Even when God said to, to Aaron in the Old Testament that, that you're to give and they're supposed to collect it, he, he was collecting it and it belonged to the Lord then. And so scripture gives us this amazing background of giving. So there's one reason why we're talking about it, why it's important. The second is, I have a personal tie-up in stewardship. Here, here's what I want you to know. Being a good steward is against my nature. It, it's just not in me to be a good steward. And so the stewardship that God has put on my heart is proof of his Holy Spirit's power. Church, I love cheap junk now. Amen? Like I do, I, I loved going through the candy aisles with my granddad as a kid because I just wanted whatever was on there. I just wanted it right then. When I got a credit card in college, y'all, I wanted cheap junk now for, for me and for my friends. I could be generous with what I didn't have, amen? I, that's just in my nature. In, in my nature, in the midst of it, I like to justify my wants and pretend that they are righteous. Amen? In my nature, I just, I like to justify the things I want instead of being a steward and presenting them before God. And in my nature, the reality is, I, I, I pinned this down, I honestly don't mind gambling if, this, if you and I have the same odds of winning and losing. In my nature, I don't mind taking a risk. 
in my nature, I don't mind satisfying the palate of my wants and desires. And in my nature, I can justify it to just about anybody. But Christ saved me. And it was that change, church, that I love talking about stewardship because it reminds me I am not my own. I have been bought with a price. Amen. The stewardship of what I have, of what comes out of my mouth, of what happens in my mind, of what happens with my feet, it all belongs to the Lord. And I am to use it to contribute to the Redeemer's cause on this place. That's where we're going today. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, if you have your Bible, turn with me there. And we're going to talk about some of the ways we are to contribute, some of the things that we're to look at as we walk through it. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9 are this kind of richly saturated emphasis talking about giving in scripture and so as we walk through this what i want to do is kind of pull you in with it and walk you through a story that god uses the the apostle paul to write and to share with us today and these are just three markers that you'll saw we we talked about and we read in that statement of how we're to contribute earlier these are kind of those reinforcements to let you see that in scripture so if you have your bible read with me chapter 8 verse 1 through 8 and that's where we'll stop just those first eight verses as we get things rolling here's what scripture says we want you to know brothers about the grace of god that has been given among the churches of macedonia for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and actually beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us to earnestly for the favor of ta taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to God, that's what we talked about last week, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that he has, uh, all had started so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, in your love for you, see to it that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. Church, Scripture tells us two things, that our tithe ought to be regular and that our giving is a proof, not the only proof, but a proof of our love for Christ. That, that it's supposed to be regular and a proof. And, and here's what I want to walk you through it. First of all, go to verse 1 back in chapter 8. In verse 1, Paul says, I want you to make you aware of the grace of God that has been given to the Macedonian church. And then it uses words like great affliction and great trial. So I want to paint this picture for you right now. The Macedonian church being under great affliction and great trial, it doesn't mean um, inflation, even like we're experiencing it today. What it means is these people barely had enough food to survive the week. It wasn't just that their house was leaking, it's that their house wasn't. It, it wasn't just that the water bill went up, it meant at many times they had no water, 
Are, are you following me? It wasn't just that their clothes were old and ratty and they were wishing to change into something new. It's that what they had on is what they had. The great trial and the great affliction that they're going through is honestly worse than anything that we would experience in America only because we at least have medical places you can walk into. We at least have some options. There were no options. The, the divide between rich and poor was so great that the middle class was non-existent. It was the uber-rich or the uber-uber-poor. And this is what Paul says about this uber-troubled church. He says, let me tell you about the grace of God that has been given among them. In other words, he says, let me talk to you about the grace that they're experiencing. Not just the grace that they're sharing with those of us outside, but the grace that they're experiencing inside. Could you imagine, here Paul is going around and he's saying that there's churches, the church of Christ is struggling all over, we're under persecution, things are pretty difficult right now, all this is happening. And he says this, he comes to Macedonia and they give according to what they have and beyond. In fact, they're begging, please tell the church around the world that we love them. They're begging. Could you imagine taking that offering? Like here you are with a new change of clothes on, collecting the offering, going around, and here are people who are making you weak. Because their heart and their treasure belong somewhere else. And they can't not show it. Man, church, the power of this statement, the, the, the moment of their gratitude, it proves their love for the Lord easily. It's not a test, it's just a proof. But in the midst of that, they're ready to give. I started thinking about that. So Christy and I, when we, when we got married, and we've talked about this, but I want to walk you through our story. Um, we grew up where my, my family gave um, as that arose, and so our, our peaks and valleys were pretty high and pretty low growing up. When Christy and I got married, um, we made a commitment that we were going to give the Lord at minimum 10% of anything that we had at, at minimum and when you're living off of $1,333 a month and that first $133 has to come out you have two reactions one is I have no idea how we're going to survive the month because our bills outweighed what we already had and so to give God $133 and 34 cents. Christy rounds up that last number back in the day. I remember thinking, ooh, it's just a penny, David. <laughs> that was a, faith, a test of faith. And, and let me tell you what happened in that, that first year we were in that apartment. Electricity started going up. Our TV started going out. One day, our $89 RCA TV bit the dust. We thought we can do it. We can live on love. We've been married only a few months. Note to self. Everybody knows that doesn't last. You follow me? Only so many walks you can take in the summer in Texas. Do you know what never came through our mind by the grace of God? 
if I wouldn't have given God $133, I could have replaced that. Let me tell you what, that's such an abnormal thought for your pastor when I was 22 years old, I can't even tell you. It never came through my mind. If we wouldn't have given God that money, I would have had enough money to buy an anniversary card for my wife on her first anniversary. It never crossed my mind. It it never crossed my mind. If we didn't give God that money, I wouldn't have to carpool with three other people just to go to school and back. It, It just never crossed my mind. And church, I have no reason for that other than to let you know that the spirit of the living God had so allowed us to trust him in comfort that even in the trials and persecutions, TV going out, right, that we had, that it was easy to trust him with what we could. You know, I, I heard someone talk about their life growing up. And, man, I guess it was a pastor at some point. And he was giving a tithing sermon, probably is what it was. And I was a young, young man. And I remember him saying, a man asked me, um, Pastor, I make a lot of money. And so 10% of what I make is a ton. <laughs> Would you pray for me and pray for my heart? You know, I just don't know what to do. And he said, absolutely. And the pastor said, I put my hand on him. I said, said, Father God, cut his salary so greatly that giving will be easy. (laughs) And he said, the man woke up. And he's like, no, 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 no. You know, we we started to look at that. And and it's things like that that I, I remember one day having a man and his wife come before me. And, and this senior adult couple, sweet, sweet as sugar, um, have gone to be with the Lord now. And, and I remember the, ma- the woman was crying. And he put his arm around her and he looked and he said, Pastor, would you pray for my wife? I said, sure. Why? What's going on? And, and this couple had gone through some things and we were in a church of 70. And he said, She's brokenhearted because she wants to give something to the Lord. And I've told her God doesn't want anything from us than just to show up on Sunday. Would you let her know that that's okay? I said, man, I know you love your wife. But if you love her, why don't you just get on your knees and say, God, let us have the same heart and see where he leads you. You see, church, Here's what I can absolutely testify to is that the heart of the church of Macedonia is spirit-given because in my life, in my life, in every season since I was allowed to make that decision, I have seen that when I commit myself to the Lord regularly, when I commit myself to him, that the fruit of my obedience is a joy, a peace, and a trust that is beyond man-made. Church, you don't give to God so that you can see him give you more in your pocket, right? You don't put $5 in a plate, believe in $10 is coming next week. That's prosperity gospel, and that, that's not real. But here's what I want you to know is real, is that when we commit to something, we get to taste the fruit of it over time. Amen.
24 years ago, the same time when I made that commitment to tithe with Christy, it was the same time when we made the commitment to marriage with one another. 24 years in, I wouldn't go back and be 20-something to save my life because marriage of 24 years with this woman is yielding fruit that is heavily sown and commitment has produced. If that is true in a relationship that is human-grounded, how much more when we are regular and saying, God, I want to be a part of the Redeemer's mission on earth. Go with me a little bit further. Verse 11 and verse 12, it says it this way. It says, so now finish doing it as well, so that you're, by your readiness in, in desiring, it may be matched by your com uh, completing it out of what you have. Now, verse 12 is, is key. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has and not according to what they do not have. See, here's what we believe about Scripture, that our giving to the Lord should be proportional to what he's given us. It should be proportional. I, I love what Paul is doing. He is unpacking the goodness of God for us through contributions. He is not asking you and I to give the Lord of what we do not have. He is just saying that what we give to God, if you wanted to honor, honor him, should be out of what you do have. What Omar said earlier was such a beautiful statement of that. God has called Omar Garcia to give him proportionally of what God has given Omar Garcia. And that is not the same as me or you or anybody else. And if you and I try to let our contributions somehow be matched up against, well, God, I can't give enough to make a dent, or God, I can't give enough to be used by you, or God, I can't do this, or my contributions are too small, then, then what Paul says is, you've missed the boat. Like God is so good. He says, I only want you to give into proportion of what a person has, not according to what he doesn't have. Isn't that amazing? I've been giving to something for years. I've been giving since before I was married. Uh, in college, uh, my senior year of college, I got a little gray uh, rectangle. It had A&M on the front and these two circles that kind of overlapped. One was orange and one was red. It said MasterCard on it. Do you know I started giving to that little gray card immediately? You see, I, I started giving disproportionately because what that little gray card is, said was, you don't have to have in order to get. Amen? So I was talking this with, with the kids and some friends at the house the other day. I said, just so that you'll know, I, I racked up somehow through a lot of little rectangular giving cards, almost $10,000 in debt before I got married. And then we worked to pay it off. And then you know what I did my first year and a half? I racked up about $10,000 worth of debt. And then Christy wanted to, we were going to have a, a kiddo, and she wanted to stay home with the kiddo and with, with debt and what I was making at the time. There was no way to do it all. And so 
you know, we did what everybody does is we whined and complained and weeping and gnashing of teeth and we paid off that little giving card. And then after the baby was born, guess what we did? We gave again to that little gray giving card. You, you see a pattern here? See, in the midst of this giving to this giving card, in the midst of this putting it all out there, here's what I started to understand is that I was investing in something with means I didn't have, and it was the flip-flop of God. I was investing with me disproportionately with what I had, and I never gave it a second thought until one day, Christy and I got a credit card offer in the mail, and it was made to her. Remember, she's jobless at the time, and it says 0% for the life of the balance. Like, how is she gonna? I mean, like, I wanna call and complain. Like, this should say David Adams. They're like, no, we've seen your patterns. And, and we had just bought a car. Mine had been in an accident, and we just bought a car. And I said, ooh, why don't we put the car on the credit card? And Christy says, that's a horrible idea. Like, it's 0%. And the car was whatever it was. And then she said something that challenged my understanding of Scripture and giving proportionately and faithfully to God. She said, I would rather have debt on something that if we needed to could be sold or taken away and then we are square with everybody than I would have an unsecured debt that I don't know how to make right. And I said, that's funny. Because to me, I'm like, why have debt on something they can take away? You took a risk on me. Eh, no harm, no foul. <laughs> I was way more comfortable with unsecured debt because it didn't threaten the way that secured debt threatened. And in that conversation, as my wife spoke to me, as I looked at the landscape of, of my way of thinking, here's what I came to know. I came to believe wholeheartedly that the integrity reflects the one I serve. The integrity with which I give to anything absolutely reflects the one I serve. And so for me, I didn't have to have integrity to give to something that someone couldn't take back. And I started to play that out over my whole life. I thought, Lord, it really lacks integrity to give to myself and my causes out of what I don't have and to tell you I can only give this much because I've tied up all that you've given me in self-worship. And that was a tough day, church. I had been in ministry for five years by that point. But here's what chapter 9, verse 6 through 10 says in 2 Corinthians. You can turn over. Paul says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. 
And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he who is distributed freely has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for the food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase of the harvest of your righteousness. I just want you to stop right there. Just, just a moment. See, what the challenge for you and I is, is to sow the seed that is in our hands. And I know you may have been my, like me in my life. You may have set that seed on fire and tried to do a lot of things with it. But the challenge is to sow joyfully and see what the multiplier does. And when, when the multiplier comes in, here's what I know. He doesn't say there are no disciplinary actions for the decisions you've made. Church, the Bible says God disciplines those he loves. But when your heart turns over to him, we start to see something amazing happen. We start to see why giving is stated the way it is in the Old Testament and it's shown in the New Testament the way that it is. The, the question I get asked often is, is tithing really just an Old Testament thing or did, did God do away with it in the New Testament? How does that work? I want to let you know the New Testament talks differently than the Old Testament about the same thing and the difference is Jesus. Before Jesus, God gave this law as a standard. It was a command and a proof text of the heart. It was to be sought after and to, to live by to the best you could, but it would always prove you wanting. In other words, you and I unable to meet even God's basic standards. But in Jesus Christ, we have been brought into a new covenant. Why? Because he fulfilled that and created a new foundation for you and I to live on. And in the New Testament, we don't talk about the Passover. We talk about the new covenant that Jesus has redeemed. God doesn't pass over our sins. He forgives them. It's abundance. When we talk about the law, we don't talk about the minimum standards. Jesus says, you want to be holy? This is what holiness looks like, and you can only be holy through me. It's abundance. And so in the New Testament, the, the gift of 10% is a springboard to a life of generosity, knowing that our God is able to supply the seed and the sower and to multiply it to his glory. And so here's what I have found in my life and I've seen it in others. For me, the Old Testament minimum didn't go away. It just became completed so that you and I could be more generous and show the world what trusting God looks like. Here's what I, I looked at this week and, and there's lots of stats out there. But the percentage of people say they tithe right of that percentage 77% say they trust the Lord with, with 11 to 25% of all that they make so that it can be his isn't that amazing what would it look like if you were to set aside finances to say God this is your money I want it to be go towards the Redeemer's cause on earth. 
What would it look like if, if in the midst of that we saw that out of the joyful obedience that God says, it's not about how much I give you, it's just about you giving in proportion to what I've given you. The grace of God is obvious. In verse 13 through 50 of chapter 8 and chapter 9, God kind of makes this last point that our giving is supposed to be purposeful. It's supposed to be in proportional but it's supposed to be purposeful. Verse 13 through 15 of chapter 8 say this. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you, and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance should be presenting, present time should supply their needs, so that their abundance may supply your need, that, there, that they may be uh, fairness. As it's written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. Whoever gathered little had no lack. And then verse 13 through 15 of chapter 9. Uh, by their approval of the service, they, were, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the generosity of your contribution to others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God that is upon you, thanks be to God for his indescribable a gift. Church, what we see here is not Paul just saying, hey, I'm walking through the door, give me money. What he's saying is this, is that when we give to God, it should be purposeful. It should be to take care of the needs of those in the church and those in the community to get the gospel out. Now, I want you to catch this. Verse 13 through 15 is not saying the person who, who has uh, little needs to be the exact same. This is not communist scripture. You can go all the way through scripture and God says, I give to some five, some to two, and some to one. But he is saying that, so to speak, in the church, there should never be a zero. And that when we give, we should know that it has to be purposeful to go about the Redeemer's cause on earth. Why? Verse chapter 9, verse 13 and 15. So that God will be glorified, so the surpassing grace of God may be seen, so that God would be the confession of it all. In the, in, in the purpose, excuse me, of our giving, the invitation is to take part and not do our own thing. Church, years ago when Christy and I we're talking about giving. I want to let you know I found that many, many people had decided that the decisions that they had made in the past would be make it impossible to serve God faithfully in the future. I mean, if you're coming to Christ as an adult, like most of our friends have, then it's hard to say, God, how will you redeem what has now enslaved me. Church, I think we know the chains of investing without purpose in worshiping ourselves. And those seem like some of the thickest chains of addiction that even when confessed are unbreakable. Let me tell you what I have seen and what we have experienced. In my life, I have never in my life known a man or a woman caught in the chains of poor decisions 
that when they surrendered all that they were to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and began to joyfully allow the proof of that to be expressed, never have I seen him let them fall. I'm not saying that it was easy. I'm not saying that they all won the lottery the next day. In fact, that's never happened. But I stand here as a witness in our home, as a pastor who has seen it happen time and time again. You cannot fix yourself up enough to be presentable to Jesus Christ. In your filth, in your decision-making, right where you are, that's where surrender happens. And then he, the one who supplies the sower and the seed, in his grace, is glorified through your life. Church, why should this be such a true statement? Chapter 8, verse 9 says this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, <clears throat> yet for your sake became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. For the Father sent his only Son, the heir of eternity, and proportionately to what he had, he committed day in and day out he emptied his pockets for the cause of the kingdom and he took on flesh and he endured suffering knowing that the sower and the seed would produce much fruit and when he died on the cross that blood applied multiplication that is supernatural happened and the greatness of God was proven yet again. So this morning, I don't know where you are. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, it starts by knowing the testimony of Christ is true. And the blood that cleansed the pastor and your buddy is good enough to wipe away all of your sins if you just surrender all that you are for all that he is. This morning, if you've been saying, Lord, I believe in biblical stewardship, but for whatever reason, something has held you back, I just want to invite you to taste and see that God is better than the fear that has contained you. Would you pray with me? Father God, we love you. Uh, we thank you for this day, Lord. As we come to you in our time of response, Father God, I pray that your goodness would be evident. Lord, why is giving so important? Because of what you gave. The ultimate perfect steward who gave proportionately and abundantly our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So Father God, this morning as we have our time of response, would you just allow that reality to, to rest upon us? You're good. So Lord, let us be stewards in the manner of our King. In Jesus' name.